0: Thank you for sharing that story with us. I want to remind you again what we're doing over these next several weeks of the summer as we're focusing on stories of Jesus. And so we've coordinated that with the Jesus Storybook, Storybook Bible, uh, but also want to encourage you to be reading these stories in the Scriptures yourself and sharing them with each other. This is something that Christians have always done throughout history. We live in a unique time in history where we have books and paper Uh, at our disposal just everywhere. But that's unusual when you look at the history of God's people. God's people have typically have historically told the stories to each other. And so we want to practice that over the summer. We're in this series called The Stories of the King. And so as we move through this series, Stories of the King, challenge you to be telling these stories to each other. I also want to acknowledge, as we are telling Stories of the King, that it is Father's Day. A couple others mentioned it this morning, so I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you that are fathers. I also want to say that we're praying for those of you that this is a hard day. Some of you might have lost your dad recently, or maybe some of you are are longing to be a dad and have had difficulty with that, or, or maybe there's been a difficult relationship with your dad. Um, we want to celebrate dads and celebrate God's idea of fatherhood, but we also recognize it can be a, a hard day and a hard reminder of things that we've, we've missed. And so as I frame this on Father's Day, I just want to tell you that the reason that we know our dads were either good dads or bad dads is because our Heavenly Father is the perfect dad. And so no matter what kind of dad you have had in this world, we want to run to our heavenly father. And he is our ultimate hero, our ultimate champion, our our ultimate dad. So as we tell stories of the king this summer, we're going to remember that our king is also our ultimate father. So this week, we're calling it the king in the storm. So this week, we will be in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, the king in the storm. So Autumn just read the Jesus Storybook Bible version of this. This appears in multiple gospels, so we're just zeroing in on the one that shows up in Mark chapter 4. This week will be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. encourage you again to follow along as we work through the text, but then also throughout the week to practice Uh, narrating and retelling the story to yourself, to your friends, to your roommates, to your kids. Um, Challenge your kids to tell it back to you. Um, So this setting is a big storm, a scary storm. And in central Texas, we have really scary storms as well. Um, When it rains, often it rains hard, right? I've heard this from some people from other states. They're kind of shocked at the way it rains here. Um, When it rains, it rains really big, really hard. It's rare that we have light rains around here. A lot of times we have bad thunderstorms and lightning and hail, Uh, We also have tornadoes in Central Texas as well, which can be really scary. We're kind of at the tail end of what uh, Weathermen sometimes call Tornado Alley down the middle of our country, right? It's kind of where the tornadoes uh, kind of tucker out, but we still have had some really bad ones over the years here in Central Texas. Um, My daughter, my youngest daughter, has been going to college in Oklahoma City. And if you don't know, Oklahoma City is like one of the worst places for tornadoes. Recently in this uh, last year of school, they had a, a watch or a warning. There was a fear that a tornado was coming. And so they were worried about it and she was sheltering with a friend. And you know what? The, the weather didn't seem that bad. And she was like, you know what? I just, I just want to go home. You know, I don't want to hang out in the space when I just want to go home. So she started to go to her car and, and head home. She lived a few minutes away from campus. Um, and as she was walking outside, <laughs> the storm hit, and the rain was coming down hard, and the wind was blowing, and she said she covered her head with her backpack and then covered her backpack with her jacket, and she's trying to make it across the, the middle of campus to her car, and she said she was getting blown around, afraid she was going to get knocked down because the wind was so heavy. And she said some guy just started yelling at her, like, hey! Hey! Hey, just screaming and she was trying, you know, determined to get to her car. Finally she turned around. She's like, "What?" And he said that a tornado is coming. You need to come in and take shelter in the basement. And by this time she was soaked and freezing and afraid she was going to get, you know, blown away completely. So she said, "Okay, I will I will go inside and take shelter." And they went inside. They went down into a basement. In Oklahoma City, they have a lot of basements and underground shelters there, right? And she went down into a basement and they waited out the storm. She sought shelter. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, but especially in the Psalms, we see that God is our shelter. God is our shelter from the horrible heat of the sun. God is our shelter from horrible storms. God is our protector in the oceans and in the waters. What's really interesting in this story today is they're out on a lake where the storm took place. The Hebrews, especially as you read the Old Testament literature, the Hebrews saw the sea the lake, the ocean, as a place of, of horror and terror. It was a place of disaster and death. And so our story of Jesus being out on the lake during a storm with his disciples is gonna call up all kinds of images from what they were used to in the scriptures of, man, water is scary, Man, storms are scary. And it's gonna bring up all these fears. And I want us to recognize that this should also remind us of whatever fears we have as well. So you might have fears of actual storms. You might have lost loved ones in a terrible storm. Maybe you are deathly afraid of storms, of tornadoes, but maybe it's not weather for you. Maybe you're deathly afraid of losing someone you love relationally, or maybe you're deathly afraid of falling back into an addiction that has ruined your life in the past. Maybe you're deathly afraid of the pandemic that's going on right now. Maybe you're deathly afraid of uh, injustice in our country. Maybe you're deathly afraid of people mistreating each other. Maybe you're deathly afraid of politics all going wrong. What's your trigger? What is it that you're afraid of? This story should call to mind the storms of our life and remind us where we can truly take shelter. So let's read our text. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us. God, we recognize that you are God and we are not. That whatever storms our country, our lives, our families are in, you are the king that is ever present in the storm. You are the king over the storm. You are the one that we can trust despite our fears. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to name our fears, but also to name that we can trust in you. I pray that your spirit would meet us through the reading of your word, that you would transcend our current worries, our anxieties, the things that are keeping us up at night, the things that are hurting us, the things that are making us cry. God, meet us here. We ask for your help and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is the king in the storm. And as we move through the text, I want us to just look at three big ideas. It's kind of a short text and a pretty simple Outline that we're going to unpack here. Number one, he takes us through storms. We have to reckon with the reality that we have a God that, even though He loves us, He still takes us through storms. The second thing we're going to see is that He's unafraid of storms. He's unafraid of storms, and we need to ask ourselves, why are we so afraid of storms? He is unafraid of storms, and then finally, He builds faith in storms. He builds faith in storms. So He takes us through storms. He's unafraid of storms, and He builds faith in the storms. First of all, in just the first few verses, we see that he takes us through storms. And this seems maybe overly obvious, but it's something we have to reckon with. Um, It's something that theologians, philosophers debate about. You know, why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Why does this exist? Well, this is the world we live in. This is the universe that we have to deal with. And God moves us through storms. Our first story a few weeks ago, we saw that the Holy Spirit took Jesus into the desert, took Jesus into the wilderness. Purposely took him to be tempted and tested by Satan. And we saw that he won that test, right? Adam and Eve failed their test with the serpent, but Jesus passed the test. So here again, we see Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to take you across to the other side. Um, Now, a little background on the Sea of Galilee it's a big sea, a big lake, if you will. It's about three times, actually more than three times bigger than Lake Belton. So local lake. Uh, how many of you here have seen Lake Belton or been to Lake Belton? So A lot of you? Okay. Pretty good sized lake. It's, it's basically a river that's been dammed up. And so it kind of has a long river-like shape to it. Um, but Sea of Galilee is this like kind of round central, big, gigantic lake. Not as big as the Great Lakes up north, but way bigger than our local lakes. About 65 square miles. About three times the size of Lake Belton. It's close in size to like Killeen and Harker Heights put together. Like that's how big the lake is, right? It takes a while to get across the entire metro area. And so that's how big this lake is. And they would have terrible storms regularly. I think I have a picture that I grabbed of the actual Sea of Galilee in Israel. So there it is. It can be very beautiful. They would fish on the lake. But everybody knew that bad storms could come and could come quickly. And so it was a risk anytime you traveled all the way across the lake, right? When fishermen would go out into the lake, they wouldn't always go all the way across it, right? They would stay to the places that seemed safer to them where they could quickly come back shore if they needed. Even today, there are warning signs around the different beaches and parking areas around the lake telling people to be careful because big wind storms can blow up very quickly. So It's something that people were afraid of all the time. So in verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. The other thing we have to ask ourselves is where were they going? Well, they were going to the region of the Decapolis. And if you read the stories around uh, these parts of the Gospels, lots of crazy things happened over in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a very uh, racially mixed area, a place where there were a lot of Greeks and a lot of pagans and people that worshiped other things. And that's where they found the demoniac guy that was like living in uh, the cemetery and was cutting himself and was breaking out of chains and was scaring everybody to death, right? That's the kind of stuff Jesus was taking them to, okay? So, So let me frame it this way. Jesus is taking them across a dangerous lake where storms happen all the time to go minister in a place that they were terrified of, to go serve people in a place that they were scared of. That's what Jesus was doing here. And so we're picking up a theme that we see again and again throughout Scripture, and that theme is that God takes us into difficult places. God takes us into places we're not comfortable with. Um, For most of us, that's where we're living right now, right? Uh, None of us would have said, God, how about we have a worldwide pandemic? How about we have Uh, political division and racial unrest and injustice and difficulties and arguing and hatred and and, uh, just lots of fighting. How about we do that for 2020, right? Like none of us would have asked for that, but that's where God is taking us in 2020. And we have to reckon with the reality that we have a God that takes us through storms. Does that mean we can't trust him? No. Does that mean he's not good? No, he's still a good God. We've talked about this a lot before because I'm naturally a comfort person, right? I would prefer to avoid all conflict. That's what I would prefer in life. And I've had to, to recognize, oh, you know what? God would prefer to sometimes take me into conflict. I would prefer to just be comfortable and eat my favorite snacks on the couch. That would be my preference in life. But sometimes God takes me into hard things. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian is to recognize that God's taken us into hard stuff. And we get confused about this because America, where we live and our generation, we're, we're some of the richest people in the world, living at one of the richest times in the world. So that can start to sink into our brains as normal. But in world history, it is not normal. It's not normal how much wealth and and wonderful things that we have. It's just not normal. We have more than most people ever have had before, so we have to kind of take ourselves back to what does the Bible say? The Bible says this world is broken by sin, and God's purpose is for His people to enter into this broken world and bring His healing and bring His grace to others. So that's what Jesus was doing. He was taking them across the stormy sea to minister to others in the Decapolis. Um, throughout throughout the Old Testament, we have symbols, and we'll come up with this more and more again later. But we have these symbols of the water being a scary place but God's the one that conquers it. Of the storms being a scary place, but God's the one that can conquer it, right? And so on the one hand, it's right and good that we would be afraid of storms. We would be afraid of scary things, but we have to always remember as God's people, God's not afraid and he's gonna take us through these scary things and he's gonna be with us and he's gonna help us to conquer. So my question for us before we move on is really an attitude question. As followers of Christ, as those who love God and trust Him, do you see your purpose in life as a purpose more of being on vacation or on mission? Do you see your purpose in this world to just have as much comfort and avoid conflict as much as possible, or do you see that God has brought you into this broken world to fight through the storms, to push back the darkness? And with uh, danger sounding like a broken record, I wanna take us back to Philippians 2. I've kept bringing us to this passage where it says Jesus didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped or to be greedily held onto, but he freely gave that up and he entered into our broken world. He, He came through the storm. So just like Jesus takes his disciples through the storms, he went through the storm for us. He suffered as you and I have, yet without sin. He resisted temptation, Hebrews 4.15 says. So that means he's a high priest that we can understand and he can sympathize with us because he knows what it is to be tempted, to be tried, to suffer, to go through storms. So Philippians 2, Paul says, so we should have the same attitude as Jesus. We should have that same willingness to, to go through the storm with him and to say, Jesus, what do you have for me? And so again, as, as we recognize the time and history we live in, it might also be helpful to think about Acts 17 that says, God decided where he was going to put us. God set us here. God's plan is for us to be here and to represent his goodness in the midst of the storm. So we have to reckon with this. Is that, is that okay that we have a God that would take us through storms? Do we believe that really we're supposed to be on vacation or do we recognize, no, we We are on mission, just like Jesus himself was on mission when he came to earth, we're on mission, living in the time and the place that we live in. The next thing I want us to see is that he's unafraid of storms. So this next point is that he is unafraid of storms, and we see this just in one verse. We're going to look at verse 38. He's unafraid of storms. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' So he's unafraid of storms. But Jesus being unafraid of the storms make his, makes his disciples think that he doesn't care. Do you see that contrast there? So Jesus is perfectly at peace, and the disciples are terrified, which again, I think, speaks to our current position, right? Jesus, the world is falling apart. Do you care? And he's like, I, I got this. We're, we're moving history forward, we're going somewhere with this. Trust me. That's what he wants to tell us. He's completely unafraid of the storm. He's asleep on a cushion. So two big ideas from this part of him being afraid. One, he's asleep on a cushion. And then the second part is, teacher, do you care? So let's talk about the asleep on a cushion part first. Um, This should remind us of another story in the Old Testament where someone was asleep on a cushion in the bottom of a boat during a storm. Anybody know that story? Jonah. That's right. I heard some murmuring from the audience. Jonah. Jonah 1.5. The horrible storm was taking place. What was Jonah doing? Jonah was running away from God. So there's a contrast here, right? It should be reminding us of, okay, here's another time when God's servant was asleep in the boat during a storm. But it should also show us, you know, contrast and similarity. It should show us, but how is this different? God said, I want you to go preach to some pagan people and warn them about my coming judgment. And Jonah was like, nope, they're bad people. I don't want to talk to them. They don't deserve your grace. I know, God, that you're gracious, and that annoys me. You should just judge them and smite them. So I'm going to go the other direction. He goes the other direction, gets on a boat in Joppa, then there's a horrible storm, and he's asleep in the bottom of the boat. That's what this should remind us of. Like, oh, okay, this is this is like the Jonah story, right? This is the same thing. But wait, it's different. It's the same, but it's different. How's it the same? Man of God sleeping in the boat during a storm. How's it different? Jonah was a man of God that was running away from God's call in his life. Jesus was a man of God who was completely at peace with God's call in his life. And he was just resting. There's two images of sleep in the Bible, right? Asleep on a cushion. What can that mean? That can either mean you're lazy and you're avoiding your responsibility, you're running away, avoiding conflict, or sleep can mean I'm resting, I'm Sabbathing, I've finished my work, God is good. So with Jonah, it's laziness, it's avoiding his call, it's running away from God. With Jesus, it's confidence, it's peace, God is with me. When you're asleep on the cushion, which one is it? When I'm asleep on the cushion, which one is it? I grabbed a picture of a dad asleep with the baby on the couch. Um, a lot of y'all know I recently got to become a grandpa. And man, let me tell you, there that's a completely different game than being a dad, right? There's this incredible confidence I have as a grandpa, right? I'm not like, worried and beat up and, you know, and so tired. They're like the sleep, the nap on the couch with the baby as a grandpa is this utter confidence sort of nap, right? It's something completely different than when I was a dad and I was just barely surviving, right? (laughs) Didn't know if I would survive. Wondered if God had abandoned me in sleep deprivation, right? But now as a grandpa, there's just this, this great peace. And so as you see Jesus asleep on the cushion, I want you to recognize that this is the sleep of confidence. This is the rest of a king who knows what he's about, knows what God is doing in his life, and trusts in his heavenly father. This leads us to the next thing, because we misunderstand his behavior that causes us to like be upset about what God's doing, right? So thinking in in our own current situation, there's racial division, political division, uh, science, you know, worries about the pandemic, all, all kinds of division and worries and concerns about our safety and everything in our country right now. And so the question is, when things are tumultuous, when things are stormy, when things are crazy, does that mean God is resting and doesn't care? Or does that mean God is confident and we should trust him? What, what does it mean in your mind? The disciples, and I think sometimes we do this, we're like, don't you even care? That's what the disciples were saying. Do you, do you even care? They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing, that we are dying? Uh, another way of translating this word is that we are being utterly destroyed, You know, there are stronger words and weaker words for different things in the New Testament and the Old Testament. This is a pretty strong word, that we are being utterly destroyed, that we are dying. We are being torn to pieces here, Lord. Do you even care? And so I want to encourage you, number one, to, to be honest with God. If that's how you're feeling, to share that with him and then to trust that he's gonna redirect you properly, that he's gonna show you what the truth is. He's gonna help you to understand what he's really up to. So again, I asked this before, what's your trigger? What's the storm that's gonna trigger you, that's gonna make you think he doesn't care, that he's abandoned you, that he's left you? What is that in your life? Not able to accomplish your tasks, your agenda is being thwarted. I know that's one thing that frustrates me, right? Like I had a plan for 2020, And God changed that plan, right? Does that mean he doesn't care? I think that means he's got a better plan. So it doesn't mean it's wrong to plan, but we have to adapt when God changes our plans. What is it for you? Maybe it's relational tension. If there's this relational tension, that means that everything's falling apart and God has abandoned me. No, that that doesn't mean he's abandoned you. He's got a better plan. He's calling you through The storm, and he's unafraid of the storm, and because he's unafraid of the storm, we can be confident in him. We can meet him in this this new plan. So here's a New Testament verse about being unafraid. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So think about it in your current situation. If you're worried about disease, if you're worried about civil unrest, if you're worried about tensions relationally, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen people? It is God who makes us righteous. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you see the tension there? It doesn't mean there's not nakedness. It doesn't mean there's not sword. It doesn't mean there's not slaughter. There's not pain. There's not difficulty. There's not storms. The storms are real. But he's saying, can those storms separate us from the love of God? And the answer is no. The storms cannot. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the song that we sang today. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans eight, thirty one through thirty nine. When the question arises in your heart, Jesus, are you asleep and do you even care? We are to look to the cross. We are to look back to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus and to recognize he he is in control. He is confident. If it seems like Jesus is asleep, it's a sleep of peace and accomplishment. Again, throughout the New Testament, this comes up in the book of Hebrews where it uses the phrase of sitting down. Um, But sitting down or being asleep is often a kingly thing, right? Someone who's done his work, who's won the battle, and now he can rest. And that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is doing right now, sitting in his throne, reclining in his recliner. He is at the right hand of God saying, "I've, I've done my work, I've accomplished the task. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead, proving that he has once and for all conquered sin and death, the ultimate storm, the ultimate monster that we are all afraid of. So because he is unafraid of storms, we should be unafraid of storms. We look back to the cross, whatever your trigger is, where you feel like, Jesus, have you forgotten me? Are you asleep? Have you abandoned me? We then look back. the cross. We look back to the resurrection and are reminded that we are more than conquerors. If God is for us, who can be against us? Last point, he builds faith in storms. So through this process of feeling like he's abandoned us, running back to him with those feelings and being reminded that he has not abandoned us, but he's died for us and risen from the dead, then that builds faith in us. Look at verses 39 through 41. And he awoke, they woke him up, it says in verse 39, "And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 39, uh, in the original language is much harsher than it sounds. "Peace be still." sounds kind of like peaceful, I guess, <laughs> you know. It's, it's a little bit more like, "Stop, shut up, you know, be quiet. It's a little more commanding. It's a little more warrior, the language there. He's just like, stop it. And the wind stopped and obeyed him. It's kingly. He's like, enough. And the winds ceased. And then there was a calm, and then there was peace. And then in verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? When we have a king like Jesus, who is sovereign over the universe... That is a perfectly reasonable question for him to ask us. Now, again, we, we don't wanna go to the emotionally fake place of saying, when I'm afraid, I'm gonna lie about it and tell God I'm not afraid because I know I shouldn't be afraid. Like, we don't wanna do that. When we're afraid, we tell it to him, but he has every right to say, why? Why are you afraid? Because I am king of the universe. That's what he's telling us. He has conquered sin and death. So we don't need to be afraid anymore but we've got, to, we've got to go through the emotional process of reminding ourselves of that truth, right? So when you hear Jesus scolding his disciples, don't hear it in the, in the way that maybe you were taught as a child. So never admit your sadness, never admit your fear, never, never share that with anybody. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, why? Why would you be afraid when the King of the universe is holding you in his hands? That's the question. And that question digs at our hearts, it digs at our souls, but it also is a question that drives us to run back to him with our fear. Yeah, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know why I was afraid, but I was afraid because it looked like everything was falling apart. But okay, I see again that you're king. I see again that I can trust you. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See how he links fear with faith? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear. This is a different kind of fear, right? Right? What kind of fear are they filled with? Now they were afraid of the storm. Now what are they afraid of? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Have you ever known that kind of godly fear? The fear of God is different than the fear of man. It's a different, it's a different kind of fear. It's this, this awe, this reverence. I remember one of my professors in seminary. He was just such a godly man. He was so genuine. He loved people so well. I was just straight up scared of him. (laughs) I was afraid of him. I was not afraid of him because he would ever hurt me. I was afraid of him because it was like he could see through my soul. You know? It it was like standing before someone holy that actually loved God and and just realizing, man, I I don't love that way. That's the kind of fear that humans should have before God. God is holy. I am not. It's a recognition of our lack of holiness. It's a recognition of our weakness. They were afraid, who is this? Even the wind and sea obey him. Again, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded of these images. One of their favorite uh, praise songs, one of the top 40 praise songs of the day would have been Psalm 107. Psalm 107 would have been the, the song that they played on Christian radio in first century Jerusalem It's kind of a joke. They didn't have radio back then, just to clarify. I know that. But they would sing the Psalms, right? Psalm 107 says this. It talks about going out on the ocean. Then Psalm 107, verse 28 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. There's a big storm when they were on their boat in the ocean. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So Yahweh hushed the waters. Let them thank Yahweh, the covenant God of the Old Testament. So don't miss that here Jesus is doing what only Yahweh can do. Jesus is doing what only Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament can do. Jesus is hushing and stilling the waters. This was a song they were all familiar with. They sang these psalms regularly and they're thinking, wow, this is is God in our presence. He builds faith in the storms. When we go through these storms, when we go through these trials, we see God more fully. We have those new awakenings, that sense of awe. God, you really are God. I had put all my faith in my plans. But you're the one I should put my faith in. I had put all my faith into my ability to balance out and network all these relationships so they worked out in just the right way and we all got along. But I can see I can't put my faith in that anymore. I put my faith in you, God. I had put my faith into our current political order. I'd put my faith in science. I'd put my faith in health. I'd put my faith in safety. But I see now, God, that you are the one I should put my faith in. Who is the object of your faith? Another word I prefer to use a lot of times for faith is trust. I think faith is, is used so often in religious contexts that it almost loses its its real everyday power for us, right? So what about trust? Who do you trust? What do you trust? The first commandment in the Ten Commandments is have no other God. Have no other power that can save you. What is the power that you think can save you? Jesus is showing that he is that power and he's calling out faith from his disciples. The thing that I said in, with Romans 8 that we look back to when everything's fallen apart and we're terrified, we look back to Jesus. We look back to the cross. We look back to his death and resurrection for us. Well, before that happened, there was one momentous event that all of God's people kept looking back to. And they would write poetry about it and they would sing songs about it and they would tell stories about it. And their favorite holiday was the Passover where they remembered this event. And that event was the Exodus. The Exodus was the event where Israel's back was against the wall. God was saving them out of slavery in Egypt and he parted the stormy waters of the Red Sea and they passed through on dry land. This is the event in the Old Testament, that everyone says, look back to that and we see that God is a saving God. Look back to this event and recognize that God is the God who saves us through the storms and through the waters and we can trust him. So here again, we see Jesus replaying this event, saying, I, I'm the one that can rescue you through the waters. I'm the one that can pull you to safety when you are so terrified. As I said, every Israelite grew up fearful of the water, fearful of the sea, fearful of storms, but God reminded them again and again that he is the God that can rescue them. If we learn to have faith in God in the midst of our storms, that can change us into the kinds of people that can then serve other people in the storm. And that's what Jesus was training his disciples to be. He was taking them through the storm to minister to people in the Decapolis area, in the scary pagan part of Israel. That's where he was taking them. He was training them, forming them, shaping them, taking them to serve others. And he had to take them through the storm where they learned to have faith in him so that then they could be of benefit to others. And he does the exact same thing today with us. He takes us through storms where we relearn to trust him, to have faith in him. And then he can use us Because then our faith is in him. Then when we're ministering to others, we're pointing people to faith in Jesus instead of faith in our plan. Or faith in Jesus instead of faith in our strengths and our gifts. Faith in Jesus instead of faith in politics. Faith in Jesus instead of faith in science. Whatever it is that that we're clinging to. Often these storms loosen our grip and we say, okay, God, now I see really you're the only one that can rescue us. And that turns us into the kinds of people that can be of benefit to others. At the end of 1 Corinthians series uh, that we were in a few weeks ago, we talked about the Tim Keller book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. That's the kind of freedom he's taking his disciples and he's taking us into. A freedom where we're no longer gripping onto these other things that we might think would save us. And now we're just trusting in him. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith in God instead of faith in self or faith in these other scenarios, these other plans. That's what he's doing. And Keller in that book talks about the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Is not, it's not self-forgetfulness like you, you just uh, are always thinking about how bad you are. No, it's, you're just not worried about yourself at all anymore. You're just thinking about how good Jesus is. And that frees us to be able to serve others. That frees us to have compassion on others. I found often in conversations we've had over the last few weeks when everything is so crazy, folks that have the hardest time having compassion on others are those that are not confident that God has been compassionate to them. And I just just want to encourage you to, to dig in to the compassion that God has had for you in the cross and the resurrection. As you see that more clearly, that's going to free you up to have compassion to others, even others you don't agree with. And we've hammered this again and again. Romans 12, 15 through 16 calls us to live in harmony with one another, to love one another, to respect one another. It doesn't say you have to agree on everything all the time. It says, be respectful, be loving, have compassion, walk alongside one another. So I'm encouraged in the ways I've seen that take place in our body. But I think the places we're falling short is we're forgetting the compassion that God has for us. So as God builds that faith In Him, through the storms, remember, He's had compassion on you through Jesus, so that frees you to have compassion on others. To be able to talk about issues without worrying about everywhere it might go or whether or not we're in the same tribe. Oh no, what if you're on the wrong team? We're not really worried about it. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Him. That's the only team we need to belong to. And then we can have realistic conversations where sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. but We can proceed as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to end, I want to wrap up as we think about this rescue through the water with an, another water image from the Old Testament. Peter kind of ties all this together in 1 Peter 3 if you want to look at that later. But the idea is that the rescue that we have in Jesus should remind us of the rescue that God performed through Noah's ark. The picture is that the whole world was being destroyed by a storm, but God was rescuing by grace a handful of people in this one ark, this box, this boat. And Peter ties that together with our baptism and our faith in Jesus. That we are rescued, the image in baptism, as we're rescued through these scary waters of baptism, right? It's like a death and resurrection. It's like a drowning image. Baptism that Christians perform, it's, it's kind of a scary image because it should call the mind drowning in a storm and coming back to life through the resurrection of Christ. And we want to recognize that in the midst of all the storms we're going through, we have a king who is in the storm with us. But it's not just a king who is beside us. The the way the New Testament talks about this is by faith, we are actually in the king. We are actually in Christ. He is actually covering us and protecting us. He is our ark. He is our life preserver. He is our place of safety. He is our shelter in the storm. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we can have confidence in you. And God, in a world of great disagreement, a world of great fear, a world of great unrest, we declare that we are one as brothers and sisters in you, that you are our only hope of rescue. And so God, I pray that you would show us how to translate that into real compassion for each other, real care for our communities real love and encouragement to one another. Continue to build us up, Lord. Grow us in our wisdom. Grow us in our skills of being those who trust you, the King, in this very real storm. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.